Praise the Lord and welcome to St. Paul Baptist Church, where we are convincing the unconvinced to be convinced and make disciples as we connect, lift, and inspire you. I'm Reverend Kelly Baptist, and we are so excited to have you connect with us in our power-packed TNT study experience. You can engage with our DigiMinuters via the chat space in each of our online worship platforms. Let's study and grow together as our pastor, Dr. Robert Scott, takes us deeper into the Word. And be sure to stay tuned after study for more information about what's happening with St. Paul. Hello there. Welcome to our Bible study that we call TNT. And I am certainly delighted and elated you are taking time out of your busy schedule to join us as we continue to study uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Today we want to focus in on verses 7 through 11. 7 through 11, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, those five verses. Very key, very critical. But before we do that, but I ask that we would have a word of prayer as we sense and seek what it is the Lord wants us to learn to extract from our time together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for the sufficiency of your grace for the um, working of your sovereignty in our lives. And we don't ever take for granted, God, how you have blessed us with one more day. As we come at this time, oh God, to learn from your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit, our ultimate teacher, will come and teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Uh, illuminate our hearts and minds and spirits so that we can see, learn, and apply the things that we will take from this lesson and become better disciples for you. It is in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, what I want to do is I want to do our dig work as far as the text is concerned. Uh, and I want to share that part of the reason why I have you to highlight certain phrases, circle certain words, is because they're very key and critical as far as the understanding and what I'm going to drill down as far as my time of teaching with you is concerned. If I ask you to highlight a phrase, it's because I want it to pop out as far as your own personal study. If I ask you to circle a word, it's because I'm going to be connecting that word to some other words, and you will see those words repeated throughout the text. And so I want you to be able to connect those words. This is kind of how I do what is called my exegetical work whenever I do any type of sermon preparation or teaching preparation. And so kind of give you some insights into my bag of tricks as far as how I do what is called my drill down. That being said, let's look at verse 7. And we're going to read through verse 11. I'm going to have you to highlight, circle, underline some key words or phrases, okay? But what things were gained to me, 
these I have counted loss for Christ. I want you to, if you would, I want you to highlight the word gain to me. I want you to highlight the phrase counted loss for Christ. I want you to also circle the word loss. Yet indeed, I also count all things, highlight the phrase count all things. I want you to circle the word loss in verse 8. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want you to highlight the phrase, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss. I want you to highlight the phrase, I have suffered the loss. I want you to circle the word loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may have gained count. I want you to underline the phrase, count them as rubbish rubbish verse 9 and be found in him not having my own righteousness how like the phrase having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness which is from God by faith Underline the phrase, through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Highlight the phrase, the power of his resurrection. And the fellowships of his suffering. Highlight the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death. Highlight the phrase, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain resurrection from the dead, underline the phrase, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. All right. Now, this is some key work that I want you all to understand and I want you all to appreciate as far as what we've just done. As far as this text is concerned, because Paul is doing something here in this particular rendering that I hope and pray will help you to appreciate the drastic, radical, redemptive, liberating change that Jesus Christ made in the life of Paul. So, let's get ready to have some wonderful conversation as far as this is concerned. Paul was dealing with all of his religious accomplishments, his legalistic training as a Jew that he had from his past, okay? Paul had been blameless by doing the requirements of the law, but I want to let you understand that being blameless does not mean you are righteous. Let me say that again. Being blameless by the standards of the law doesn't necessarily mean you're righteous. Why is that, Pastor? Real easy, because I can keep the law, I can keep the ritual, and my heart not be in it. So I can be blameless from the outside, but not necessarily righteous from the inside. So Paul was trying to warn others that keeping the commandments while waiting on the Messiah was wasted because Jesus has already come and go. Look at this. But what things were gained to me, 
I count it loss for Christ. See, this was the issue with the Jews that they thought that ritual made them right with God. And they failed to understand that the ritualistic practices of the Jews was not meant to be forever. They were designed to take place until Jesus came. When Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, the Bible says, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, that the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Not from the bottom to the top, from top to bottom, which gives inference that this was God ripping away the separation between humanity and God. That split in the temple symbolized how God had fulfilled the law when Jesus Christ died on Calvary by the shedding of his blood. Now, although the Jewish practices were commanded by God, the continuing practices of them after the resurrection really became inconsequential and unnecessary. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me by me keeping the law, by me following the law legalistically, I have counted loss for Christ. Let's move forward. Because, these, because I want to highlight the phrase, I have counted loss for Christ. Paul had been on a path that one day would have placed him in the highest position as far as the Jewish religious aristocracy was concerned. If Paul had continued his track, he would have eventually become head of the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council was really the religious ruling party and elite that was the synthesis between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. Okay? So Paul was really on track to become head of that council. Paul had been taught by the best teacher of his day at that time, which was uh, a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel. He had a blameless track record when it came to keeping the rituals that were associated with the law. Uh, he was on his way to becoming what was known as the Pharisee among the Pharisees. And yet, he says, I gave all of that up for the sake of Jesus Christ. In other words, he said, I counted all those things lost for Jesus Christ because Jesus is a whole lot better. All right? All of his Jewish accomplishments, becoming a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumscribed on the eighth day, coming from the tribe of Benjamin, um, all of his Jewish accomplishments were considered to be worthless rubbish. As a matter of fact, when you look at the word rubbish, as far as the original Greek is concerned, it is really dung. Dung 
is basically a fancy word for manure. And Paul is basically saying, I count this as worthless, rubbish, now that I know who Jesus Christ is in the pardon of my sin. None of these religious achievements can compare to a new relationship in Jesus Christ. I want to let you know your old life before Jesus is trash compared to the treasure of a relationship with Jesus. Paul lost the junk from his past in order to obtain the jewel of eternity. Paul gave up a lot just to know who Jesus Christ was. Paul gave up his home in Tarsus. He gave up a comfortable lifestyle. He gave up potential fame and fortune. Paul gave up a lot in order to know Jesus Christ and do his work. But Paul is saying, I am counting all of that stuff as trash, as dung, as rubbish. How many of us prior to Jesus can honestly say that we count what we had before as worthless? Well, I know you got your degrees. I know you had a great paying job. I know you got a whole lot of money in the bank. I know you got investments in the stock market. But what are those things in comparison to having a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Well, Pastor, I got to eat, got to live, got to take care of my family, got to make sure my kids are provided for. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. But when it comes to knowing who Jesus Christ is, what are the things of this world in comparison to knowing who Jesus Christ is? Paul says, I have counted all those things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. Paul really wants us to understand a, a saying that Jesus had when he was doing his ministry. And Jesus says this very profound thing. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and this world. You cannot serve God and the accoutrements of the culture. So Paul really is, in a sense, picking up on this axiom to try to help his brothers and sisters at Philippi understand and appreciate that if anybody had any reason to brag, it is he, but he gave up the substance of being braggadocious to being able to have the substance of following the Savior. Okay? He says, I count them lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, 
my Lord. To know means to gain experience. He wants to know the surpassing greatness of who Jesus Christ is. He wants to know all there is to know about the person and personality and power of Jesus Christ. He wants to know how is it that Jesus was able to do everything that he did. How he suffered, bled, and died, gave his life. God has given him a name that is above every name. He wanted to know all about Jesus Christ. Because he understood that as he grew in his knowledge of Jesus Christ, that it would allow for him to really be the best disciple and apostle that God would have for him to be. Let's move on. Let's look at verse 9. When he says, and I found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now I want to unpack this because this is very weighty, very, very heavy. Our religious acts are insufficient when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Our religious acts are insufficient when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, listen, I'm a top-notch Hebrew. Okay? I went beyond the call of duty and kept the Sabbath. I knew how to pay tithe on my tithe. I had no problem fasting and praying. I kept the law as perfect as I could to the best of my ability. But Paul is saying my religious record can't stand before Jesus Christ. That my keeping of the ritual and the law does not make me righteous before God. Every ceremony could not cause me to be good enough when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It did not matter how good Paul's record was under the law. Even if he had a perfect record in which he did not, he still could not be justified in the sight of God. Those who operate under the law remain under the curse of the law even when they follow the commandments. Why? Because they could not keep all of the law. There were over 600 laws. And if you broke one of the law, you broke the whole law. So Paul was saying, that did not make me righteous. I could have kept all 600 plus of the law, and that still is not good enough when it comes to Jesus Christ. Now, let me, if I could, bring this into 2020. Because Paul wants us to understand that coming to church does not make you right with God. Through Jesus Christ, that giving your tithes and offerings don't make you right with God through Jesus Christ, that attending Bible study and Sunday school does not make you right with God through Jesus Christ, 
that engaging in service does not make you right with God through Jesus Christ. It is our faith in Christ Jesus as the Son of the living God and our willingness to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior wholeheartedly. That is what makes us right. Now watch this. And when I'm right with Jesus Christ, when my faith in Christ Jesus is based upon the fact that his righteousness makes me right with God, then it empowers me to serve. It empowers me to give. It empowers me to want to know more about who he is, why he did what he did, for whom he did what he did, uh, and, and, and it empowers me to want to know more about him. Okay? That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. I don't do the law to get saved. I don't do the ritual to get saved. I do that stuff because I now am saved. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. That because of verse 9, but it is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from which, which is from God by faith, I've been redeemed. The only way you and I can be really righteous before God is through no one else but Jesus Christ. His righteousness is now applied to our lives. So when God looks at us, God declares us to be righteous, not on our own merit, but on our connection with Jesus Christ. In other words, God says, oh, you with my son? You're good. Okay? Jesus is the only way back to God the Father. Since everybody is cursed under the law, remains cursed. So it's necessary to get rid of this because it then allows for us to be reconciled back to God. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul is saying the law never erased the stain from the human race. The law never got rid of sin. But Jesus took care of that curse that came from Adam. No active man, woman, boy, girl can create a path to the throne of God. No ritualistic law, no ceremonial law, no moral law could redeem humanity. Paul wants us to understand that all of his righteous acts put together never did deliver him from sin. Oh, you don't believe me? All you got to do is read back in Romans chapter 7, particularly starting at verse 14, when Paul goes on this rant about how imperfect of a man he is, that when I desire to do right, evil pops up on every hand. 
I want to do the right thing. I wind up doing the wrong thing. So guess what? Even his keeping of the law and the ritual did not absolve him, did not free him from sin. In other words, Paul is saying, regardless of how well I kept the Sabbath, it still didn't make me right. Regardless of how many times I gave my tithes, it still didn't make me right. Regardless of how many alms I gave to the poor, it still didn't make me right. Submission to the law never washed away his sins totally. But faith in Christ Jesus was able to accomplish what the law could not. We're still in verse 9. Because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that becomes our spiritual clothing. Let me say that again. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that becomes our spiritual clothing, that becomes our spiritual covering. There's a word that's called imputed, I-M-P-U-T-E-D, imputed, which basically means that something is given to you or placed upon you. The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed upon you and me, and that's how we are justified by faith. So watch this. So we are justified by faith through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ in spite of our past being tainted with sin. This blesses me. So, regardless of what I've done in the past, regardless of how horrific, how horrible, how hellish, when I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, his righteousness is given to me. I got a new set of clothes because the righteousness of Jesus Christ now becomes, watch this, my obedience to Jesus Christ. So when God looks at us, God sees saints and not sinners. Let me say it again. When God looks at us, because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, God sees saints, not sinners. God sees the blood of Jesus covering us for our sins. Now, the devil will try to convince you and me that our past behavior keeps us from being in relationship with God. That our past behavior keeps us from being made right with God. That our past behavior keeps Jesus Christ from loving us. In a real sense, watch this, it's you being a sinner, it's you being crazy as far as your past is concerned, that qualifies us because Jesus did not come to die for the righteous, he came and gave his life for sinners. He gave his life for sinners. Let me say that again. He gave his life for sinners. It is our sins 
that qualifies us to become candidates for the grace of God. Ooh. <sighs> now watch this. I am covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But even though I'm covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it does not keep us from sinning. Now, I, I, I'm getting ready to say something that I pray will change your thinking. Because when I really studied this in depth, it kind of shifted how I look at some things. And here it is. When we sin, even though we're saved, some believers try to justify their sins. And here's the famous expression we say. Well, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's what we say. Am I right? I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now let me drop this, let me drop this bombshell on you. And I hope to blow a crater in your theology. You're saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. However, the truth of the matter is, if you're saved, you are a saint who just sins. Let me say it again. If you're saved, you're now a saint who has committed a sin. In other words, what are you saying, Pastor? Stop saying you're a sinner saved by grace. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're considered to be a saint who just sins every now and then. Because what you call yourself is how you behave. So, watch this, watch this, watch this. When you read the letters of Paul, when you read the letters of Paul, he talks about the issues going on at the various churches, but he never referred to them as sinners. He always said, to the saints at Colossae, to the saints at Rome, to the saints at Corinth, to the saints at Philippians. He never said to the sinners saved by grace. He called them saints, but he addressed their sins. Paul knew about the idolatrous worshipers of, 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 of the Ephesians, but he still called them saints. Paul knew about the craziness going on at the church at Corinth, but he still called them saints. Paul knows about our idiocy, but he still refers to us as saints. And the reason that we got to stop calling ourselves sinners saved by grace and start referring to ourselves as saints is because our sinful behavior does not cancel out the covering of the blood of Jesus. However, you just got to give an account for the sins that you commit when you know better. And, and, and you know how God does it? God disciplines us. He chastises us. He puts us in check. 
Oh, it's getting real quiet now. I can see it getting quiet online now. Let me, let me move on and let's look at uh, verse 10. Because I really want to drill down on this. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. That I may know him. Who's that him? Jesus Christ. Watch this. And the power of his resurrection. So really, what Paul is saying right now is that his consuming ambition was to know all he could about Jesus. His goal was to learn more about the one who was responsible for placing him on what we like to call the street called straight. And with the same tenacity and energy he had as a persecutor of the church, he now has the same energy and tenacity as a preacher for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about, I want to know him. I want intimate knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. For years, I did all that I could to fight his image. And now I want to spend the rest of my days getting to know who he is. So how can we get to know Jesus? By reading the word, by applying the word to our lives. Because guess what? The more you and I study the word and we are empowered by the spirit, the more we become doers of the word. And the more we become doers of the word, the more we know about Jesus. And when you learn about Jesus, you learn how to trust Jesus more. The reason that some of us have trust issues with Jesus is because we don't really know him. But if you really know who Jesus is, and I'm not talking about I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about biological data that his earthly mother was, was Mary and his earthly father was Joseph and how he had to go to Egypt when he was uh, a little baby. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm talking about a spiritual, intimate knowledge of who Jesus Christ is that only comes from reading and studying. Watch this, not the New Testament only, but the Old Testament as well. Why? Because when I get to know Jesus, I get to know God as creator. When I get to know God as creator, I get to be moved by the Spirit. And as I'm moved by the Spirit, I become more and more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm getting happy up in here with this lesson right now. The reason that Paul was able to write this letter from a jail cell while he was chained to Roman centurions or jail watchers was because he trusts Jesus. The reason that Paul had bravery and courage while he was in jail was because his relationship with Jesus gave him the confidence he needed to deal with his situation in Rome. 
When you know who Jesus Christ is, you don't stand on your earthly attributes. You stand on the boldness that Jesus Christ has given you. My teaching, my preaching ain't because I got a degree from Jackson State or MDR from Duke or doctorate degree from United. No, my boldness and my courage to do what I do is based upon my knowledge and intimacy with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. His relationship with Jesus gave him the confidence he needed to deal with the situation at Rome and he dealt with the suspense because he had the Savior. Because when you know Jesus, you ain't going to doubt him. If faith is believing and trusting Jesus, the more I know him, the more faith I place in him. Let me say that again. I'm getting ready to bless. I don't know how many is watching me right now. But however many is watching me, I'm getting ready to bless at least 50% of you. Let me say it again. When you know Jesus, you ain't going to doubt him. And if my faith means believing and trusting Jesus, the more I know Jesus, the more faith I have in Jesus. Let me say it again. The more I know Jesus, the more faith I have in Jesus. How I get to know him? I get to know him through the word and through the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life. Here's the, here's the shout. Uh, here, here, here's the shout of the whole Bible study that I'm getting ready to bless you with quick, fast, in a hurry. Here it is. If Jesus is only an acquaintance, then it's going to be difficult for you to trust Jesus when the storms of life start raging. In other words, if you only have quaint knowledge or little knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, when hell hounds are on your track, when you're going through the storms of life, you're going to fall apart because you really don't know Jesus. You got him on the surface, but you don't have him on the deep level. But when you know Jesus, you can't be satisfied with whatever state you're in because you know Jesus is there with you. That's why Paul says, therefore, whatever state I'm in, I've learned how to be content. Why am I content? Because I have Christ with me. I have Christ with me. That I may know him. Wait, 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 wait. wait that's, that's the entering knowledge. But then he said, not only do I want to know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So so first of all, I got to have intimate knowledge of who he is, of who Jesus is as person. Watch this. Then, Then I got to have knowledge of the power of his resurrection. Because Paul says, That if I'm going to get victory over the sins of my flesh, that means I got to continue to know who Jesus Christ is. But not only do I need to know who Jesus Christ is as a person, I also need to understand what the power of his resurrection means because the power of his resurrection then empowers me to live from a resurrected perspective in the here and now even though I ain't dead yet. So even though 
I'm covered by the blood. I still have this desire to think things according to my flesh. God desires for the believer to be saved, to be secured, to be strengthened, to be sanctified. This comes through the power of knowing about the power of Jesus' resurrection. So when Paul speaks about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is dealing with those things accomplished for us by the resurrection of Jesus that helps us to live victoriously in the here and now. In other words, Paul is saying the power of his resurrection ain't for when you dead, it's for you in the here and now to live your life from a resurrected perspective, which means that I don't live my life by looking down. I live my life by looking up and outward beyond the horizon. So I got no power of his resurrection because the power of his resurrection really extends my human capacity to do some things that ended up myself I thought I would never be able to accomplish. So I got to know the power of his resurrection. Watch this. Then I, the fellowship of his suffering. Then I also got to be acquainted with the pain of his rejection. So Paul says, I got to know Jesus I got to know about his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Guess what? I can't really do the things that God wants me to do until I understand and appreciate the mess he went through in order to accomplish it. The problem with the prosperity gospel is that it cuts out the pain that you're going to have to deal with as being a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it wants to anesthetize you to suffering. But if you're going to follow that Negro from Nazareth, sooner or later you're going to go through some stuff that you ain't going to like. You don't follow Jesus and be scar-free. You ain't going to follow Jesus and not go through some pain. You're not going to be one of his disciples and not have to deal with headache and heartache every now and then. It ain't in the equation. It's not. That's the issue with prosperity gospel. It ain't in the equation. Every day you ain't going to be smiling like you see Joel Osteen on television. It ain't in the equation. So Paul says the fellowship of his suffering. And, and, and if anybody knew that, Paul knew it. Paul had been thrown out of town. Paul had been shipwrecked. Paul had been beaten within an inch of his life. People got upset with Paul. They threw rocks at him. He was beaten for his testimonies about Jesus' cross. But when Paul thought about all that Jesus went through when he died at Calvary for his sins, he was like, what I'm dealing with ain't nothing but a drop in the bucket compared to what Jesus went through on Calvary. 
So I got to know him, got to know power of his resurrection, got to understand the pain of him being rejected, of him suffering, but I also got to understand that I am being conformed, watch this, to his death. And his death was redemptive. So there's a passion that's connected to his redemption. Paul wanted to have the same passion for lost, unsaved people that Jesus had for the lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Jesus was willing to die because of his passion for the loss. Being conformed to his death. See, here, here, here's what you got to understand. Jesus did not have to die on the cross. As a matter of fact, that should have been you and me. That when we look at the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ, and, 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 and do you all know that there are some people who don't believe in the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary, but I'm here to let you know that I believe that he was my substitute and that he atoned for my sins at Calvary. Some, some folks don't believe that, but I'm letting you know as your pastor and as a fellow uh, worker and, and, and sufferer for the saints of Jesus Christ, I believe his death was my substitute. Paul wanted to know that passion. That's why he went on missionary journeys. That's why he became shipwrecked. That's why he was thrown in prison. That's why he wasn't worried about the outcome of his imprisonment. He was willing to do whatever was necessary because he wanted to see people who did not know who Jesus Christ was come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. He had a passion for those who were lost. Where is your passion for people who don't know who Jesus Christ is in the pardon of their sins? Some of you, you're afraid to witness because you're afraid of getting your feelings hurt. Jesus died for you to get your feelings hurt. You won't witness because you are afraid of the backlash. But think about someone like Stephen, the first deacon who was stoned because of his passion for the unsaved. Many of us probably need to repent for our lack of evangelistic fervor. We don't want to let people know that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because we're afraid they're going to clump us with uh, some of these crazy evangelicals who are more supportive of Donald Trump than they are of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be afraid to say, he is my Lord and he is my God. Let me wrap up. Paul goes in home stretch in this particular rendering by saying, by if enemies I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. There's a reward for us. Paul knew that all of this is going to lead to a general resurrection for those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Now watch this. All of us who are saved, who have been born again, we're going to experience resurrection. Okay? But in this verse, Paul is not dealing with the resurrection from the dead. He knew resurrection from the dead was going to take place for everybody. Saved or unsaved, they're going to be resurrected because they're going to be judged. Agnostic, atheist, or believer, everybody's going to be resurrected because everybody's going to be judged. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm getting ready to bless a few of you all with this. Somebody's going to get this, and this is going to bless you. What Paul wants us to understand is that this is something else a little different. Because living a life in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and experiencing his suffering as well as his passion for the unsaved, Paul is saying there's a special reward in store for him and others like him. Here it is. All of us are trying to get to heaven. Truth of the matter is, if you're saved, you're going, you, 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 you're going to heaven. If you've been born again, you're going to heaven. It's not anything you earned. Jesus paid the price for it. However, there will be a special reward for those who have made their commitment to follow Jesus. It is sort of like when you graduate from high school or college, if you do the work, you graduate. However, on the day of graduation, there are special categories for folks who excelled. It's called honors. There are courts that certain people wear when they graduate uh, magna cum laude and summa cum laude and cum laude. It's called honors. Then you have a valedictorian and a salutatorian. It's called honors. Why? Because they went beyond the call. They didn't just do the bare minimum to get by. They exceeded. And there's a reward for all of those who exceed. There's a blessing for all of those who exceed. This is what Paul means when he talks about an outward resurrection. Okay? This Greek word resurrection here, uh, if, if, if you understand it, I want you, and, and, and I really want you to, 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 to get what I'm trying to drop on you right now. In the Greek, this word resurrection in verse 11 is different than the word of resurrection in verse 10. Because the word resurrection in verse 11 has, in the Greek, the word ex, um, exa-anastasian, exa-anastasian, which basically means a partial resurrection out from among the corpses, or literally an outward resurrection. Okay? So, so, so when Paul deals with this, he's really saying... This is a little bit different than what I have been talking about before. This is in reference to something greater. God has a reward 
for each and every one of you who go beyond the call of duty and just not happy with being saved. But you're being a disciple and you're bringing others to Christ. That you're serving the Lord's church. That's what you get a reward for. Service. That's what you get your cords for. Service. You don't, you don't get cords by being a bench member or a pew member. You get cords. You get rewards for service. All right. Well, I, I, I want to, to end today's uh, lesson with this. I want you all to know that uh, before I close the lesson, I want to see if any of you have any questions uh, before we get ready to go to prayer and um, call it a day. Any questions? Okay. Any questions? All right. Same as not, let me just share that we will not, for the month of November, have Bible study by virtue of the fact that we will be having what we call Thankful Thursdays. And on next Thursday, our first preacher will be Thursday night, the Reverend Dr. Marcus D. Cosby from the Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, my good friend and brother. And so we will be doing Thankful Thursday, and I look so forward, so forward to you joining us as far as that's concerned. Well, as we get ready to close out in prayer, uh, before we do that, I want to encourage you, and I want to thank you. Thank you, St. Paul, for your kindness, your generosity. Thank you, St. Paul, uh, for the love and the prayers you continue to render. We were able to bless our convention this week as far as the work that they're doing, being a blessing to people who are suffering from the impact of hurricanes and uh, devastation that has hit our state uh, a few months ago, particularly in Bertie County. Uh, we partner with General Baptist State Convention as well as with Lock Carey as far as those works are concerned. So we were able, because of your giving, to be a blessing to the General Baptist State Convention this week by doing two things. Number one, we served as the virtual host, and I got to commend our staff uh, our music ministry for being so on point this week. And in particular, I got to give a major, 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 major shout out and kudos to our media ministry that uh, particularly was led by Sister Deborah Dalton. Uh, our media ministry was just absolutely incredible because we were responsible for pulling together all of that uh, uh, all of those different videos and putting them as far as in a smooth working piece uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, and last night. So I want to thank Deb and her crew. Uh, I know that uh, there were times that Dalton was down here early in the morning trying to make sure that everything went off without a hitch as far as our General Baptist State Convention. So uh, St. Paul, uh, we were a blessing to the General Baptist State Convention because of our capacity to host this virtual convention. And we could not have done that, again, without your generosity because of new cameras, new soundboards, new lights. Uh, we had it looking five-star. 
So I want to thank you for that. So here's what I want to continue to encourage you. We, we, we want to continue to do uh, repair work around the church. We want to continue to do the uplift that's necessary. Your giving makes that possible. And the medical team, they once around, yeah, they would take checking temperatures, making sure folks uh, who who came in were um, meeting the the precautionary measures as far as COVID nineteen. Thank you, Deborah. Um, but your giving makes this possible. Your giving makes this possible. Your generosity makes this possible. And so I want to continue to encourage you to give. You can send check or money order here to the church. 1401 Allen Street, you can give through our website or you can give through the uh, app called Givelify. So we want to encourage you to continue to be a blessing as far as the work is concerned because we really want to continue to fix things around here. A lot of stuff that needs to be fixed. But um, uh, one day in, in the near future, we're going to come back together as a congregation. But in the meantime, while we're not here, we really want to do some significant work as far as our congregation is, as far as our church building is concerned, your giving makes that a work in reality. Well, as we prepare to go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to lift up uh, several prayer concerns at this particular time. Um, one of them, of course, is our uh, executive pastor, uh, Dr. Monica Redman, not only about her health and well-being, but uh, Dr. Redman, uh, last Friday, buried her father. Last Saturday, buried her uncle. And then yesterday, her sister, her younger sister, died. And so she has been dealing with a lot of loss at this time. And we want to flank her with our prayers. If you want to send her a card of encouragement, send it here to the church. We will definitely make sure she gets it. Um, and, but we want, to, we want you all to cover her with, with prayer. We also want to lift up the Fair family as they continue to make um, uh, funeral arrangements for um, Brother Fair. Um, and we want to continue to lift up all of our brothers and sisters who are experiencing loss and health concerns um, during this time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close out today. God, we come and you have heard us bring before you the petitions, the prayer concerns of those who are dealing with loss and grief right now, particularly Dr. Redman. And God, we pray that you will move in their situations, send your spirit to give comfort. Wipe tears from their eyes. God, I pray right now that in the name of your son, Jesus, you will continue to empower the St. Paul Church, the disciples and friends, to be gracious and generous, to be a blessing to others. We pray, oh God, that we will continue to do mission and ministry even in these pandemic times. I pray, oh God, that the word that has been taught today would take root will be a blessing as far as those who heard us and perhaps as it's shared across their networks. Now, God, let this word really become a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. 
Lord said the same. We will see you, as far as Bible study is concerned, back in, uh, in the future. We will see you in December as we continue to study Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. God bless you. Hey, North Carolina, Barack Obama here. So much is at stake in this election, from getting the pandemic under control, to building a fair economy, to taking on climate change, to protecting our health care. You can change our direction on every issue. That's the power of your vote. History shows that the easiest way to make sure that you and your friends vote is to make a plan. And when it comes to voting this year, having a plan has never been more important. So I want to bring in my friend Brandon, who's going to tell us how to make sure our ballots count this year. Brandon, take it away. Thank you, President Obama. Okay, North Carolina, this year you have three easy and convenient ways to cast your ballot and make your voice heard. You can vote early in person, vote by mail, or vote on Election Day on November 3rd. Voting early in person lets you vote on your schedule. Early voting sites will be open starting October 15th and you can find yours at IWillVote.com NC. To vote by mail, first go to IWillVote.com NC to request your ballot today. Once you request your ballot, keep an eye on your mailbox. When your ballot arrives, follow the instructions carefully. Don't forget to grab a friend or a family member as your witness, and that you both complete the witness section on the return envelope. In North Carolina, you can mail your ballot or drop it off in person. Head here to track your ballot. And of course, you can vote early on election day, Tuesday, November 3rd. Go to IWillVote.com NC to find your polling place. And don't forget, if you're in line by the time polls close, you can still vote. Back to you, President Obama. Whether you vote by mail, vote early and in person, or vote in person on November 3rd, thank you for going to IWillVote.com and doing your part to protect this democracy and change this country for the better. Now, now get, get out there and vote. Get, get out there and vote. Yeah, we got to work on that.